how abstraction, orchestration, and true automation can make your career successful with Tim Fiola, episode 90. This is all about making you successful in your career with abstraction, orchestration, and what we call true automation. What are they? How can you learn them and immediately start leveraging them in your career right now? Welcome back, my friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets out there. We have another episode of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast, where zigabytes are faster than those gigabytes. We strive to provide real-world context around technology. What's up, everybody? I hope everyone is doing great. Zig Ziga here, and welcome to episode 90 of the Zigbits Network Design Podcast. Once again, my name is Zig Ziga, and I'm here to help you with network engineering, network design, and network architecture. But today, and today, but today, who cares? We are going to we are discussing abstraction, orchestration, and automation. Helping me today is my good friend, a frequent Zigbits podcast guest, Tim Fiola. Tim has been on a couple of the recent Zigbits episodes, episodes 83 and 89, and, and specifically speaking about episode 83, the title of that one's How to Differentiate Yourself as a Network Engineer. It is currently our number one episode we've done over the last four years. So if you haven't listened to it yet, the community loves it, and you will too. Hey, if you want to listen to that episode, go to zigbits.tech slash 83. Hey, before we kick off the discussion with Tim today, I have a couple of quick-ish updates. The first one, the big one, I am officially writing a Cisco Press book. This has been uh, legit. This has been a career bucket list item, and I am truly stoked about it. Now, to be clear, the book I am writing, at this moment, the title is CCDE, so the Cisco Certified Design Expert, qualification exam, specifically 400-007, and it's the official certification guide. So I'm writing the official certification guide for the CCDE qualification exam. It's just going to be truly awesome, and I am truly honored to write this book, and I will keep everyone updated as I progress with the book and when it is completed. Truly just an awesome experience so far. It's going to be fun. Uh, I don't know what I don't know yet, so there's always that aspect, but I'll be writing for the you know foreseeable future. All right, so the second update, right? Because of my, my combined workload between all the things I'm responsible for, my day job, Zigbits, family, health, other responsibilities, I had the order wrong. Health was last. Health was supposed to be first. I always mess that up. Health was always supposed to be first, and I always have it last. Because of all of these other responsibilities and all these things going on, I, I am moving the podcast. I'm moving this show back to a bi-weekly show just for a bit, just for a bit. And the, and the reason behind that is because I need to create some space, some time, some, some flexibility for me so I can get some of these large, large, extremely large projects and initiatives completed, like the course and the book and other things that I have on my massive Kanban board in my office that I'm not making progress on. So I need to, I need to create this space. And that way I can knock this stuff out and then I can get back to bringing more content uh, and, and more high value content to you. 
I hope all of this makes sense. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. Reach out to me directly at zig at zigbits.tech. You can find me on all the socials, right? Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. You can also reach out on Discord, right? Our Discord community. And if you're not currently in our Discord community, you are missing out. So go ahead and join. It's zigbits.tech slash Discord. Quick and easy link. And I will see you there. Oh, those were the updates. That's it. Now for our conversation with Tim. Hey, Tim, how are you doing, buddy? How are you doing today? Zig, I am doing awesome. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, man. Hey, this is great getting you on again. Um, I believe we recently did one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna miss the number probably by heart. I think it's actually episode 83, um, and we had a good show that uh, maybe a month ago. I'm going on time. I'm going back in the future, but but back in time. I don't know how to do this. We talked about how to differentiate yourself as a network engineer and not be a commodity, um, where most of us are probably commodities these days as network engineers. And I think that was a great show. So I'm glad to get you back here today to talk about automation, abstraction, orchestration, kind of all buzzwords. Um, but again, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself, let everyone know who you are, what you do, and, and kind of why we're here today. Thanks, Zig. You bet. Um, my name is Tim Fiola. I am a uh, automation enthusiast. I began my career as a network engineer by training. Um, then I became an automation and coding enthusiast by choice when I saw the, the power that unleashes, mm-hmm. how it empowers the network engineer, and how it empowers the companies they work for. Um, I'm also an avid tequila fan and, uh, man, not even a recovering Legoholic anymore. I'm just a full-on Legoholic <laughs> again, falling oh. off the wagon there. Uh, I'm also, uh, I have JNCIE, uh, service, service provider number 419, but I nice. did let that expire several years ago. And I also blog and now do podcasts occasionally. Occasionally, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, right now I got you on once a month. Like that, that's perfect, right? So, um, and, and then I got to say like, like the Lego stuff, man, Legoholic. Yeah. You're totally, you're not a recovering Legoholic anymore. Um, it's awesome. I love Legos. I can't get enough of them. And my son loves them as well. So that makes it even better for me um, because it's something we can do together, you know? Yeah. It's a good, it's a great way to spend time with your kids and bond with them for sure. Yeah, man. Um, so, so yeah, we're going to talk about automation today, I think, and abstraction and, and kind of all of those things. I would say it's probably why it's important and why we care. What, what makes it drive business success or how does it make a business successful? Um, and so I think that's kind of the presence, presence, that's not the right word. Pre- uh, preface, preface, something premise. like that. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Premise. Thank you. I'm like, what's the right word? Um, yeah, the premise <laughs> of the show. So let's start with abstraction if you want. Sure. Yeah. Abstraction, orchestration, and automation, uh, like you pointed out earlier, are very, they're very loaded terms. They have different meanings in different contexts. Um, and some people use them in different ways. So as a network engineer who's trying to learn this and what, how these impact me, my employer, my culture. Uh, what I'd like to do is to use your words, Zig, is to demystify these terms. Nice, I like um, it. In today's show. Uh, yeah, I see what I did there. So, uh, and before, I, before we really start talking about this, these are all my opinions, uh, not those of any past or present employers, and they're very open to discussion uh, or any hate mail anyone cares to send me. But... Uh, no one's going to send you hate uh, mail. You know, Come on, just me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
It might, it might spike a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah in your, yeah. your daily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you know, getting into it, one common one among network engineers is what I call abstraction. And we're going to discuss what that is. And it turns out if you're doing any coding, you're probably using abstraction at a minimum. So <clears throat> abstraction is uh, taking a, it's an exercise in replacement. So if you take a relatively simple task and script it or make like something like an Ansible playbook to do it, it's a replacement exercise because um, if I make a Python script that configures a VLAN on 50 switches, now I've replaced directly touching 50 devices with a script that touches 50 devices. I manage the script, the script interacts with the devices. So it's an exercise in abstraction. Um, that, is, that, is, that is the building block though of orchestration and automation. And we'll, discover, we'll discuss a bit about that. Um, and automation, I'm sorry, abstraction, the scripting part of it, tends to be implemented at the grassroots level. It typically starts with a network engineer or two getting together saying, hey, we do this all the time. We hate doing this all the time. Let's make a script and not do it all the time and move on to higher value stuff. Well, so That's I just say, I just say I'm lazy. I just got to say, I'm just a lazy person. I don't want to do the work. I want to do something. I want something that I can hit a button and it does it for me and I know what's going to work. Like That's where I'm at. Yeah, lazy. Whatever your motivation for doing it, it adds value. So, yeah. man, just just run with it if that's what you're thinking. Um, so that's abstraction. In its heart, it's it's encapsulating work in a script or playbook, perhaps, and making that work repeatable by just pressing the button multiple times. So now we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, excuse me orchestration. So um, while abstraction will involve a task that'll affect a single device at a time or a single type of device, like as in I'm provisioning a VLAN on 50 switches. One at a time, the script goes out and provisions each that VLAN on each one of the 50 switches uh, individually. Okay. So orchestration starts to build on that a bit. Orchestration will start to involve coordinating tasks among multiple devices. Um, for example, let's say if you have a really complex topology and you're doing, let's say, a router upgrade. Um, so that router upgrade might involve a lot of steps with the network elements around it. Uh, for instance, you would probably run pre-checks on the device. Uh, then you would implement IGP overload on the device. Then you might, depending on your topology, you might have to uh, um, shut BGP sessions down on all the neighbors, all the BGP neighbors around it. So now you're not just touching one device, you're starting to touch and orchestrate activity amongst several devices in one, in one workflow. So then you know the device might get upgraded to continue the flow. Uh, you'd run post checks on the device. You would normalize your IGP on the device that's being upgraded. Then you would normalize your BGP on the, on the neighbors. Uh, of the device that's under upgrade. 
So we so just we just went through a whole these... migration right there in a nutshell. Those are steps right there to migrate. That that's awesome. And, and uh, I just want to make it clear. So we're comparing the abstra- abstraction orchestration, abstractions kind of a single task on multiple devices. Maybe is that right? Right. And then orchestrations, yeah, now... multiple tasks on multiple devices, part of a workflow. Yeah, it, it involves start more of a workflow involving most likely multiple devices. But if you look at each one of those individual steps we just walked through, each one of those can be done with an encapsulated work item. For instance, running pre-checks on the device to be upgraded, that is a script. Uh, implementing IGP overload, that's a separate script. The, the, the IG, excuse me, the BGP session on the neighbors, that's a, that is a distinct script. So it goes on and on. We're, what we're doing right now is we're encapsulating, excuse me, we're orchestrating different tasks among multiple devices. No, okay, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm tracking. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, um, so orchestration is building on the abstraction. You're taking the abstracted tasks and orchestrating them amongst you know, in the workflow amongst what is likely multiple devices. So why isn't this automation? This isn't what I call true automation because to initiate this, someone still has to press a button. Mm. You're still initiating it manually saying, now is the time, let's upgrade this <laughs> gotcha. device. Let's do the workflow. Don't press so the red button. A button. Don't press the red button. Right. right. <laughs> That's what's going through don't my head. Press button. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. You don't want to do it uh, before it's time, right? Yeah. Um, so another thing that orchestration will require as you look at this workflow is um, more feedback uh, about the status of each task. Each step must return specific feedback so the next step knows that it's okay to execute or to gracefully exit if it's some, there's something unexpected. Um, and another interesting thing that is its own show and is multiple podcasts is uh, uh, it starts to require a good source of truth for the data. In orchestration, you're using data and state uh, amongst about many network elements. So you need a good source of truth to draw state from and to compare on the network elements you're you're touching. Uh, my current employer is Network to Code, and we have several uh, blog posts and podcasts that cover the source of truth. It is truly it becomes the heart of any automated infrastructure source of truth. For yeah. Sure. So so even like architecture speaking, like source of truth is such a critical component. Like even when we start talking about like zero trust architecture and future state architectures, they all require a source of truth. Like that single point that has the truth of the environment in real time. And, and that way it can make real good, valid decisions on the data um, because it's analyzing that data real-time analytics, and then making suggestions and or making decisions for you. Um, so it's interesting that you to bring that up, right? So we're kind of merging multiple, I would say, subfields because there's the the programming side, the automation, orchestration, abstraction side, and there's a single, there's a source of truth. But then if you start talking about the architecture side where we're talking about like, again, zero trust I mentioned, but like software-defined networking and controller-based items, 
that source of truth is kind of overlapping in all those places. So I think that might be something that we want to talk about in the future for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It is truly a, uh, uh, it is truly its own, its own thing to discuss for, yeah. for some time. Uh, it's really interesting. And um, so uh, with orchestration, um, depending on, you know, and these are column checkpoints on a spectrum, abstraction, orchestration, automation. These are not hard checkpoints. What we're talking about here is just things to look for, characteristics to look for, to understand, is this orchestration, is it true automation, or is it just really sophisticated abstraction? This, what I'd like the network engineers in the audience to, to understand is how the spectrum uh, develops from abstraction and true automation. There's all these points in between. And these are, these are some of the characteristics to look for on that spectrum when you're trying to figure out maybe where you're at. Um, a couple more things about orchestration before we moved on to what I call true automation. Um, organizations cooperating becomes a bigger deal. If you start orchestrating with uh, more more elements and more elements that aren't necessarily controlled by your group, you need to start coordinating amongst groups to, to get them to agree to the process and the source of truth and whatnot. Uh, the other part of it is uh, you might, depending on where you're at, you might be investing in a platform to, to use for orchestration. Um, so maybe you're not just running scripts, you're running scripts that are executed by some controller that is taking feedback from the process and knowing when to initiate the next step. So orchestration, and I'll just say group cooperation amongst groups at at least a low level start to become involved in the process. Yeah. So, so I think there's a huge uh, call out there that you mentioned. I think it's important that like you, you can't do these things in a silo, right? Like you can't, you can't just do it in your own little org, your own little <clears throat> department. Um, or even your sub like team, like the network team, if you want to go, I was, I, I had a show I did recently with another uh, colleague, friend of mine. Um, and we talked about shadow, automation like shadow automation like it's a real thing man like it's a like we talk about shadow it and i'm going out i'm making up this term right so shadow it has been a thing for years people went to cloud because they you know their it department couldn't couldn't support their needs well if you think about that shadow shadow automation is the same thing it's hey your your automation dev team application team or it team can't support your needs so now you got these pockets of people doing coding and automation and 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 abstraction and orchestration like we're talking about here. Um, and that's a real thing. Like it's a real true, true thing that's bringing our own issues into all of this. I think it's extremely important to ident identify that too. Um, but you said a, gr a number of great things. So I think this is, this is going to be a great conversation. That's I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited. Uh, I'm pumped up. So let's, let's keep going, man. Yeah. So now we get to, it starts to become like the crown jewel. Um, and that's, what I'll call define as closed loop automation. So closed loop automation is similar to orchestration, but the process that you're kicking off, the workflow, um, it's executed in response to an event, uh, not to event, not without, excuse me, in response to an event, not a human intervention. So 
you know, you look at Skynet as the ultimate, oh. you know, closed loop automation. Yeah, and I love to use Skynet <laughs> as an example. I mean, wow, you know, I don't agree with what Skynet did, but that was a true example of closed loop automation. <laughs> it identified something and uh, did just awful stuff. But uh, it also, you know, brought us the Terminator. So closed loop <laughs> automation, just call it Skynet. Skynet is the crown jewel of closed loop automation. So as long as the event is not someone explicitly, you know, manually initiating the process, it's automation because it's a reaction to some type of event. Um, <clears throat> so automation, again, it requires even more detailed feedback. So something, your automation platform in this example, knows when to execute. For example, um, if a BGP session on a peer goes down, uh, troubleshooting a BGP session, humans, when they're doing it, they all do the first five or six things, maybe in a slightly different order, but you do five or six things like right off the bat. You, you check the config, you check any you know, static routes you mm -hmm. might have configured, you check the interface. Everyone does the same like four like or five, five call it, yeah. Yep. Yeah, boilerplate stuff. So, uh, you know, shut, no shut interfaces. Okay, so when I, when I think of an example of true closed loop automation, let's say that BGP session goes down. Um, an automated process sees that session go down. Um, and let's say it just automatically creates a ticket with a ticketing system. It pulls certain details from the, the device, logs them in the ticket, and then kicks off basic, a basic, basic troubleshooting script where you're checking the BGP status, checking the interfaces, doing a shut, no shut, all, the, all that same boilerplate stuff that humans do. Now, if after all that, the BGP session comes up, awesome. Note that, close the ticket, and just, hey, you have a closed ticket and a human never touched it, the, the system just fixed it by itself. If that session does not come up after the boilerplate stuff, then you can kick it up to a human being to take a look at. And even though humans involved, uh, it is still true automation. And we can talk a bit about that. Did you have a question? Uh, so, so I have a, a number of um, thoughts. So um, first off, Skynet, like this, this is totally me robots taking over the world and we're done for, right? That, that's where I'm going first, right? Because we said Skynet. Um, but that, that's, that's one spectrum of the equation, right? One potential reality with automation in the long run is that, hey, robots could take over the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, like I think there's another aspect here where some of the steps that we think are automation are pre-scripted tasks. Like, like you mentioned, like troubleshooting a BGP neighborship, right? There are, there are a subset. There is a subset of tasks that we all do when the neighborship goes down. And so we can write those down and say, okay, Mr. Automation or Mr. You know, system or controller or whatever it is, here are those steps, right? And then that controller can intuitively check those steps for us and validate, hey, these are good to go. Um, one of the key things I think is imperative to this entire closed loop automation cycle, and it sounds like I might be on this point, I might be, maybe I'm wrong and you can tell me, Tim, um, is that you have to have that feedback mechanism, whatever you're calling it, 
the the automation system needs to know what's happening in real time or as close to real time as possible. So if that neighborship goes down, how fast does that automation system know that neighborship's down so it can react accordingly? And if we don't have that feedback mechanism, then this automation system is not going to be able to do these things in real time. Yep, there is no automation without without feedback. Hey, there we that go. That is certain. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. That was my big, my big harp, right? Skynet. And then there has to be like a feedback mechanism. Um, and maybe that was the issue with Skynet. There was no feedback mechanism. I don't know. Maybe. That's a whole nother episode. I'd love to talk about Skynet. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that in the future. Cheers, this Let's is schedule all good stuff. troubleshoot Skynet. Yeah. How could it have really Skynet. taken over the world? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How um, fast can it so, take over the world? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, continuing our, our, our workflow here, let's say the BGP session doesn't come up after the automated boilerplate troubleshooting. Well, then you, you kick the ticket up to a human being and say, I can't, you know, the system says, I can't fix this, fix it. So a human being does what they do. They can get involved and actually fix it if it takes more than the system can, can deal with. And then, then, uh, then close the ticket themselves and then Again, the, the system will see that closed ticket and then do something like, hey, uh, let, me, uh, let me notify the customer that we opened the ticket for them and now it's fixed and we close the ticket for them. And depending on how long this whole thing took, the customer might not even know <laughs> that, they were, that they were down for a bit. Um, <clears throat> so it, that is an example of one workflow that is is automated. So I have a question, right? I'm going to jump in, right? Questions as always. Okay, so so let's say the automation system went through these four four steps, whatever those steps are, for whatever problem, right? It's pre-scripted. There's four steps. Hey, I went through these four steps. It's still not up. Whatever the problem is, it's still down. I, ticked, I, I push this up to the human person, right? That human interactive person. They do some additional work and they figure out the issue. They solve the issue. So is there any way to backfill that process with the additional information, the additional troubleshooting steps that that human person took so that in the future when that same issue happens, well, now instead of four steps, the automation per, that automation system now can do five, six, seven, or eight steps and then maybe automatically solve the issue now. And now those human people don't even have to be a part of it anymore. Yeah, in a if you are in a sophisticated environment that can do what we just discussed, hopefully you'd you'd lean into it and do exactly what you just described, Zig, is is look at why how many times did that system have to kick this kind of ticket up to a person? How did they end up fixing it? Is that something we can have the, the system do automatically or check for in the future? That's cool. So that, you know, you can just kind of update your scripts, update your automation. Um, once you have a, a kind of a, a good metric system or a good um, view of, hey, this thing's happened 100 times or 15 times, or whatever the metric value is, hey, what did we do each of those times? Oh, we did the exact same thing, right? We did these five other steps or, or these two other steps. Well, let's go ahead and add those to the script. Here's the here's the trouble issue situation some some you have to know the state right that's all about state tracking you have to know when that when it's an outage state and what specific outage it is what's the actual variables and what's that state okay that's the state we validated it and then now we have to actually fix that state here are the steps to fix it and then we revalidate it that it's fixed and then we can close the ticket man this is this is true automation that's what this is this is like yeah and 
And one, one more way to think about it now that we've gone through automation and uh, orchestration is earlier we mentioned source of truth and talked about that. The delta in your network between the source of truth, which reflects the desired state of the network and the operational state of the network, there's gonna be a delta between those. That's your work for the day. Or if you're in automation, that's your automation systems work is bringing the network operational state back in line with the desired state of ah, the network. Okay. The desired state of the network is reflected in your source of truth. Ah, well, and that, that is sense. why source of truth starts to become a huge deal um, because you're you're taking automated actions to align the two. Yeah, so that goes into that source of truth uh, topic and conversation. I'd be concerned about the security of my source of truth, right? Like, what happens if my source of truth is compromised? Like, what's what's the impact? Well, the impact's very large, right? We don't need to go on the weeds, but if my source of truth is not actually truthful, well, there's a problem, right? And maybe I'm, I'm opening up that, I don't know, onion. I'm peeling back the onion or whatever, multiple layers. Um, but I think that that's a good point to make is that, we have the source of truth system. We have to make sure that its integrity is, is checked and validated all every step of the way. That is why source of truth is its own. I mean, it's really, it becomes the heart of an automated platform. It's just, it's, it's everything. That's really cool. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to, I'm definitely going to tee that up, man. Just so you know, Tim, you're, you're, we're going to, we're going to draft up another show on source of truth because I think that's, that's hyper critical. That's my new buzzword. The last couple months is hyper critical, but um, it certainly is. And I'll see if I can bring some friends on who uh, who know a lot about it. Yeah, yeah uh, there's there's so much there. It is is it it is I think becoming its own area of expertise. Wow, wow. in right. the, in the industry. Yeah, for sure. So we'll definitely tee that up. I think that'd be beneficial to all the listeners, all those network engineers that are trying to become an automation specialist and an abstraction specialist and orchestration masters. Um, all right, so I cut you off. So uh, I think we were at the obstacles to move from abstraction kind of to orchestration and automation. Yeah, so we're what we're going to do is we're going to look at each, at the different factors that uh, that will affect how far your you and your organization can go on the the spectrum of this automation spectrum are you going to stop it are you going to stop at abstraction can you make it to orchestration can you get to true automation we're going to we're going to talk about what will start to impede you as you progress on this uh, automation spectrum here yeah that's good that's uh, good yeah. so so is that some of that stuff's going to be really about probably the business too like and how the business is structured to really embrace automation or not embrace automation yep yeah and you know it a lot of it will start with with culture and this is really at the grassroots level getting getting your 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 line engineers to to really buy in and there's there's a few things in a culture that can work against starting on this this journey we're talking about uh the first one is what i call the the cult of the cli yeah no one can work the cli like i can i can you know look how fast i can type um there that is real it is and uh it's real and to a point i get it but there's a larger force at play here that it's going to be hard to 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 really swim against the tide 
with that. Um, uh, you know, another another just cultural thing is just fear. You know, automation is BS. It it will mess stuff up. It will you know I'll be automating failure if I make a mistake. Well, you know, no doubt everyone makes mistakes. Yeah, we all in automation. We're human. It can right? amplify it. It can amplify it. On balance, though, as a business and as an engineer, you have to look at what am I going? What's going to do the most good? In the longer term, it's starting this this journey and moving along this this spectrum um, as far as you can. That is what will ultimately add the most value. So <clears throat> getting this automation is BS fear and uh, just uh, animosity, it, that does need, be, not, does need to be addressed. And then uh, along the lines of what we just talked about, another one is just, I don't trust machines. And that's Skynet syndrome. And Skynet, you know, was probably doing as much as anyone to make people not trust machines. <laughs> but <clears throat> on balance, you're gonna you're gonna need to. But it's not just machines. It's it's people putting in the code, and if it's done smartly by knowledgeable people, your odds of success go way up. Well, I mean, if you have so, validation built in, right? I think that helps a lot. And if you don't have validation, that's probably the issue. But if you have validation in there to make sure your code's accurate. And then you're you're checking the, the state before you make a change of those devices, and then you're making the change, and you have an expected like, success state that you're gonna kind of grade everything with. It's almost like I'm expecting this outcome. This is what I should see, and if I don't see it, we'll fall back. Type of model, right? And that's that's not what we can do as a as a human. We would do that normally, but we do it for one device at a time, and we don't scale out. We can't scale out the way that automation can. Um, so, so a couple of things, right? You mentioned the cult of CLI, which I totally resonate with because I like the CLI. I am a CLI jockey. I love the CLI and, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty fast at typing and, and configuring things live, man. Like even if I don't touch the CLI for months, I'm like back on it, going away and typing away. Um, I do have this, this internal thought that no one's going to know what a CLI is in the future. Like if we go ten years from now, there'll still be a CLI, and there'll be that that commodity that that what, the differentiation resource that we talked about last time, right? That that one percent or less that they know what the CLI is and they use it, they know how to use it. But the rest of the commodity engineers, those the rest of the network engineers and designers out there, all they're going to know is the GUI and how to hit buttons, like they click the buttons on the GUI, and then rely on automation. So I do have that concern. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, don't trust machines, right? Like, I see that in being fully serious. <clears throat> excuse me. Being fully serious, I see that more often in the government world than anywhere else. Like, we're not going to trust a machine. Nope. There's going to be user interaction, user, some sort of human is going to be in the process no matter what. Period. 100%. I think that's a huge cultural issue, governance issue, and I don't know if that's ever actually going to change in the government world. That is an interesting perspective. How how culturally it's it's so ingrained. Yeah, time will tell with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like about like we talk about business success, right? That's what we're focusing on. But like in the government world, it's about mission success. And if we lose control over something, and we're letting a machine or a computer or whatever you want to call it do that task. Well, now what happens if they do something wrong, 
right? There's there's an implication there. There's an impact. What could happen, right? And that, that I think that's probably the biggest concern that, that most of the leaders in the government world have. So that's that's really good perspective. I don't have any visibility as to how the government really operates when you look under the hood, like you do. So that's really interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. So I think these are great. I think these are great culture um, items. So I think um, I kind of cut you off, but I wanted to make sure I said a couple things. Um, so let's I'll turn it back to you, man. Go ahead, Tim. Sure. So the you know another uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but another obstacle to automation is um, you know moving further to the right on that spectrum is cooperation between groups. Uh, just a simple device that you control or a simple group of devices that you control, you know, abstraction and maybe simple orchestration, you can move there without, perhaps without any other cooperation from other groups. But as you start to orchestrate more actions and more, we're going to start talking about workflows here, workflows that cross organizational lines, those organizations have to start cooperating with each other they have to agree on workflow. They have to agree on source of truth. There's a there's a lot of coordination that has to happen to, to allow you to get out of abstraction and into uh, you know, kind of simple orchestration or maybe advanced orchestration. Um, if the groups don't cooperate, doesn't work. That's just that's just it. So because of this, um, you start to see uh, at, at at orchestration and for sure automation is management up to the the sea level needs to get involved to one coordinate work between the groups to make them cooperate to to get their the groups to buy in um, <clears throat> and two to properly incent the groups to work together um, now if uh, the incentives have to be properly spelled out you know, for instance, the objective should state explicitly, you need to support this specific automation effort. This, the, the objective shouldn't say something like increase productivity by 20 or 30 percent with, without additional headcount. What happens there is, uh, you know, management may read that as, well, I need to make my people work 20 to 30 percent harder. Yeah, yeah. Make them uh, work more and harder and faster. Yeah, yeah, and I, I use the example, uh, there was an episode of The Simpsons where Homer was, uh, he was working for a supervillain, I think his name was Scorpio, and Homer was in charge of the nuclear power plant in Scorpio's town he controlled. And uh, Homer was sitting there in the control room with his engineers, and the engineers were busy pressing buttons and beeping and all this stuff was happening. And Homer says, hey, are you guys working? And they said, yes. And he said, huh, can you work harder? And they said, oh, yeah. And then they just started pressing the buttons quicker. <laughs> that, and he was like, wow, what a great manager. You know, wow, I'm so good at managing. That is not, you know, clearly that's not how the real world world works. So the objectives from the C-level have to be specific to the automation or orchestration platform and effort at hand. If not, you can go off the rails 
like like Homer was starting to do there. Well, it's, um, it sounds like they have to be connected, right? They have to be. They have to understand what's going on. They have to be part of the process. They have to know what automation tool, what automation workflow they're working on, and that way they can talk the talk, be part of it, and understand the implications across the board. So I think I think there's some learning that has to occur at that C level as well. It's not as easy to say it's just it's just network engineers that have to learn this stuff. That the C level staff also have to understand automation, not the ones and zeros or the syntax or the tools per se, but the uh, implications and how they can manage the teams and the workflows that they're managing from a people perspective. That's and that's that is so important because when now we're talking about uh, workflow orchestration and end to end workflow automation, that if you think about it. What the systems you're touching, you're probably touching CRM, you're touching a ticketing system, you're touching the network, you're touching uh, probably some databases, you're touching the source of truth. These are all uh, systems that get it, that that interact with the automation platform via CLI. The net, I mean, sorry, via API, and the network is just another. The network is just another piece of that workflow. The network might not even be the central piece. It, you know, this, the central job might be something way different, but the network is a, is a part of that workflow. And so automating your network is important if you want to get true end-to-end strategic company-wide workflow automation. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, so I think, I think at this point, I want to get into like, if we can identify some values um, impact values or, or, um, I want to, I want to try to put it in business success terms as much as possible. And I would like to try to compare, I don't know, I don't know if we actually outlined this. So I'm putting you on the spot, Tim. So I apologize if this is totally out there, but I think we can talk about it. Um, I'd like to get an idea of, I think it's just a, a rough order of magnitude from, from abstraction to orchestration to true automation. So I think if we could just put an example of the value of abstraction first, and then we'll go to automation or orchestration and then true automation um, from a business perspective. Yeah. So that I, yeah, I love that. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, abstraction is where we start uh, typically from the grassroots up. And if you stop at just abstraction for whatever reason, if your organization just can't go further, that's not to say you're not adding a tremendous value and your organization is not going to be successful. Because what abstraction does is it, it takes the task you do a thousand times. And instead of doing it a thousand times, you make a script that can do it a thousand times. Um, and in doing so, you increase, you can have a group of say four engineers start to do the work of six or seven perhaps. Ah. If you can automate your OS upgrades, if you can automate adding a VLAN or reconfiguring a, a segment of the network, or you know, uh, we talked about a couple months ago, the, uh, an, uh, an RSVP mesh, putting a router yes. into the RSVP mesh. If you can automate these things, the amount of throughput in your, that the engineers themselves can do goes way up. And so just with that, the network engineer is taking the reins saying, I am now doing the work of you know, two or three engineers or increasing my productivity by 90, 100, 150%. And most likely it'll be pretty easy to make that argument. Hey, instead of doing this thing a thousand times at an hour each, 
Mm-hmm. I wrote a script in like four hours and now I just press a button. Tremendous payoff at oh, the yeah. abstraction layer. It's just Tremendous. A, it's just a huge return on investment, return on your time, yep. Yep. right? And then now you can focus on other things while it's going on. So that's cool. So that's abstraction. What about orchestration? So uh, orchestration. Uh, cooperation between groups is always a great thing. Uh, orchestration can start to enshrine that cooperation in code so that it's harder to stop doing. Once, uh, you know, say director level management, perhaps, if, if there's, you know, two or three groups coordinating with each other to get orchestration, once the director levels realize what's going on, um, and by the way, the director level is not going to not know it's happening. Typically, the director levels get involved to, you know, perhaps select a platform, kind of maybe corral the, the, the groups into cooperating, doing the education piece like we talked about. Um, now you're starting to, to uh, get efficiency with not just tasks and simple workflows. Your workflows get a bit more elaborate that you can, uh, that, that you can uh, increase, that you can... How do I say it? Your your workflows start to get more productive in that you are increasing your throughput, you're decreasing human error, you're starting to impact the company's cash flow because you're getting stuff done quicker. You're reducing quote to cash interval, which is a cash flow uh, bump. So at orchestration, you're starting to get closer to corporate strategic objectives. And uh, when I say strategic objectives, it's, uh, it's a high level objective defined by the C-level folks that say, this is where we're gonna invest time because this is how we can differentiate ourselves from the, our, our competitors. This gives us an advantage, not easy for our competitors to replicate. Or everyone's moving here in order to stay competitive, we have to have this capability. Automation, um, is, is one expression of that. Orchestration is where that starts to become noticeable. Cooperation so, so, between groups, more elaborate workflows. So so for orchestration, I mean, it's I know you've said it a couple of times, right? You have to collaborate between groups. So here's a question I think that I resonate with, and I'm wondering if other people that are listening are going to resonate with this too. Um, so in all of my environments, for the most part, I, I'm going to uh, generalize, but I would say... 95% of the companies I worked with, there were siloed groups and none of the groups worked together. None of the groups talked to each other. It was always a pain in the butt to do anything. Something like I'm on the network team, right? And maybe I have a good relationship with the security team because I don't know, they came from the networking team. So we, we mesh, right? But then the VMware team and the server team and the storage team and the application team, the development team, all those other teams, they hate me. Because I'm always the issue, right? I'm always the problem. Um, and they never help me. And so I'm just trying to think, how, how do we, and maybe you know this answer, I don't know. Uh, like maybe in your experience, and that might be helpful here. Like how do we go from being that siloed traditional networking team where no one wants to help us and no one wants to partner with us? How do we become that partner and say, hey, we're, we're going to get some automation and orchestration we want to work together and make your life easier. How do we do that? Um, the answer to that is that's why the C-level folks make the big bucks. Okay, yeah. That is gotcha. absolutely their job to figure that out. And in doing so, they, they, they're 
advancing their strategic objectives, which make the company more competitive or give it a differential that its competitors find hard to match. So that's great. That's a great answer because I was over here thinking that we had to own that and try to find figure it out ourselves, right? But but you put it to a leadership issue. It's totally a leadership issue. That that leader has to own it and say, okay, hey, these groups have to work together. We have to we're gonna do orchestration and now it's not one individual group like networking group, server group, so on and so forth. It's one enterprise architecture group with automation, every layer all working together um, and, and truly putting an orchestrated solution together. That is correct. Yeah. That, that's right. That's a whole different um, world, man. That's a whole different yeah, world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, there's a lot to think about. And so if as a network engineer, you can get to abstraction, but for reasons outside of your control, you know, uh, simple orchestration or is not possible because the groups won't cooperate you'll just have to rest easy at night knowing that you're doing the work of maybe two or three engineers and you're adding a tremendous amount of value. And when you are looking at your next role, you can start to ask the, the people you're interviewing with about the culture and how automated are you. And hopefully this, this podcast has given people some reference points to, to think back on saying, yeah, it sounds like they're, you know, uh, They've, they've made it to orchestration and you know maybe they're on the path to automation. Maybe you'll know that I'll, I'll go to this new role and I'll still just, I'll still be an abstraction. Uh, I'll still just leverage abstraction. But again, if you are getting paid more for adding that additional value, you can't say that's a bad career move. No, no, of course not. hundred percent. You're adding value, and if they're realizing you're adding value, you're going to get paid more. That's a quick. You're you're, you're making a difference, and you have a differentiator there for your role. Um, and if yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you know, I, the last part of that is if you have a vision, if you if you can say to make a case to your prospective employer that you're interviewing with, look, I've done abstraction. I've I can show you data that shows how much I've improved the productivity of, of the group I'm in or my personal productivity. Uh, and I would like to take up an orchestration role or I would like to work in an organization. I would like to lead the charge to orchestration. That, depending on the culture of the company you're going to, that might turn some heads in a big way and get you a, you know, a, a more high level job than you thought you were interviewing for. But if you have the vision and you have the capability and you show that, uh, good things can happen without you planning on that. And that's always nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I mean, someone's going to buy into what you're saying. And if you can actually lead that orchestration drive, I mean, that's a huge drive that you're leaving. That's a huge initiative. Um, I mean, that's not full on automation, right? But that's, that's, I would say more than halfway there. And I think that yeah. your benchmarks, right. That we're talking about are great, Great milestones, or I mean, benchmarks is still a good word too, but milestones for people to think about, hey, this company is doing abstraction today, and maybe they're not, maybe not even doing anything, right? Let's, they're, they're nowhere. And then, okay, well, we're going to start doing abstraction. Let's abstract all these different tasks. Let's start small, right? It doesn't have to be complicated, 
hey, let's figure out a way to abstract adding VLANs to, you know, switches and trunk interfaces. And, you know, we have to create a new VLAN. Well, where does it need to propagate to? Okay, these five switches. Okay, how do we automate that or abstract that and create the script just to do that one single task? Uh, but now, hey, we have to add a thousand VLANs. Well, now we can do that, right? We have that one task or that one script that can add a thousand VLANs now. Now we just got to call it a thousand times. Um, but then if you have a workflow, I mean, that's the orchestration element, right? That's the that's the orchestration element right there. And I th I'm envisioning for workflows, orchestration specifically, like you have this, you have the network part of it, the servers, the VMware, the like the... Um, not the source of truth. I know that's what we talked about earlier, but kind of like the inventory system and the ticketing system. Like I'm thinking like ITSM, like IT asset management, service management. Um, but then you're also going to have like, like uh, help desk part of it. I mean, it's a whole, it's really truly a whole, I don't want to say architecture, but it's a whole workflow from beginning to end. And it touches everything within your environment, everything. Um, at least that's how I envision it right now. I don't know if you think that's the same or if I'm on, I'm no, the that's right. it, Once you start looking at orchestration, you're starting to deal with workflows ah. and uh, cross, cross, cross silo workflows. And then automation will start to go with, you know, you'll start to see more end to end company process um, automation, automation of entire end to end workflows. And I think orchestration, you might be, you know, you might be uh, automating a segment of the workflow, uh, but not the entire workflow. Well, I look at it, I look at it, like uh, abstraction specifically, probably to your field of view or your your area of responsibility. Like abstraction for a network engineer is going to be in the network space, something that you can abstract and automate for yourself, but it's not going to be at the orchestration level in the most cases. But that's the same, I think, definition for like a server admin. Like there's scripts that you can use as a server admin to do certain things. Um, and then as a VMware admin, same thing, right? They're a storage admin. Everyone has their own abstraction tools to help them do their job a little bit more effectively, efficiently. But then when we start talking about our orchestration, we're just pulling all that together, right? We're just pulling everything together now. And it's not that VMware admin doing things on his own. It's, hey, here's the network engineer, the network admin, the VMware admin, the server admin. Everyone get together. Oh, yeah, we're no longer on different teams. We're working together, and we're going to make an orchestration workflow so maybe we have to build out a new application, right? A new application that requires VMs and storage and networking and load balancers. And I'm just talking at the top of my mind here, right? And then also, oh, hey, there's an application development team that's building that application so that they need a QA environment. They need a dev environment. They need a production environment, a staging environment. Now you can see how this all ties together. And I think that right there if you have an organization that can actually embrace parts of that or all of that, that's huge. It, you're, you're absolutely right. It is. And you started to touch on the, uh, the infrastructure piece of it. Uh, you know, the source of truth is one part of your infrastructure, but your uh, CI CD environment, your, your pipeline, your coding pipeline to uh, check in code, review code, do unit tests of code mm. before it goes into your production environment. These are all parts of it and they require resources, which is why the directors start getting involved with orchestration. There's cooperation, like we talked about, and also resourcing, which we didn't talk about, but like you brought up, it's a very important piece to the 
orchestration because you start dealing with platforms and additional resources. Um, so it, that's that is part of the evolution is that director level roughly buy-in. Yeah. So I was talking to another group of people on another show that we did a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago at this point. Um, and one of the things we talked about is like a true enterprise architect, not like a, not like an enterprise architect in this terms of networking, but an enterprise architect that knows the business, like at the higher level, knows the business, understands business speak, language, et cetera, but then also understands every IT. I guess that's the, the common denominator here is IT technology architecture. So they understand development, they understand automation, they understand application development, lifecycle management for applications, but then they understand networking and they understand servers and load balancing and storage and VM, everything I already mentioned, right? And more, I'm sure. They understand all this so that they can be that quarterback or that kind of leader when we're talking about automation because that's really what is needed, I think. I almost think it's a new role I don't know if enterprise architect's the right title, but there's got to be this this kind of quarterback person role that's facilitating this change, in my opinion, in these organizations. And then I think I think it'd be beneficial to hear some examples if you have any on how organizations are are adopting this change, right? How are they are they going from the ground up? Are they going from the top down? What is the way to go, right? If there's a, a lesson is learned, maybe don't go ground up or top down or whatever. I think that'd be beneficial to hear. Sure. The abstraction part like we touched on before, that's ground up. That's an engineer just getting sick of doing something and saying, I'm going to have a script or okay. Ansible playbook do it straight up. That is grassroots. That's me and being lazy. That, that, that's me being that's lazy. That's me being lazy. Yeah, I got you. Call it what you will. It's you being productive. I know, I know. And that's, lazy. That's me telling my teammates I'm lazy. And that's me telling my manager, hey, I'm productive. I'm an efficient. I'm saving you money. I'm going to get a promotion, all that stuff. But like when I'm talking to my wife or, you know, when I'm talking to my friends, yeah, I'm just lazy. I'm just lazy. I just don't want, I don't want to do work. As we started abstraction, we're encapsulating work in scripts and playbooks, simple bits of work in scripts and playbooks. Abstraction, we might stop there. If we want to move further, we need buy-in from the, from the top, like we talked about. Complex abstraction and automation tend to be implemented from the top down uh, mm -hmm. because they affect multiple systems, multiple processes across multiple organizations, and management needs to coordinate that. Management also needs to fund the resources for the infrastructure, uh, which, which includes development of a, of a, of a CI CD pipeline um, <clears throat> and uh, an, an orchestration or an automation platform. And some, let me just throw out some examples of, of these platforms, of these yeah, automation please do. Please platforms do. I've seen. Yeah, so your automation platform, uh, SaltStack is one that I that I see that's uh, fairly new, but uh, it's open source and uh, uh, it's a really cool platform. It's a true closed loop automation capable platform. You can also use it for abstraction or orchestration if you like, but it's capable of true closed loop automation because it has a it has an event bus, and you have certain processes listening for certain events to kick off um, simple bits of work. 
So you're, you're tracking events, and based on the event that it's receiving, you're doing a work. Okay. Yep. This interface went down, or this BGP gotcha. pair went down. Okay, great. Do this. Do this troubleshooting thing. Look at the ticket. The tr- the ticket is, you know, the interface didn't come up. Okay, the interface still isn't up. Kick off the next event. What's the type of event? Um, is it like SNMP, or is it some sort of other protocol? Do you happen to know? You know, on Salt Stack, it is a. I believe it's a zero MQ message bus. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Gotcha. I just give you an idea, right? Like how it works. And then and then for salt stack, because I've never heard it before. I've heard Ansible and some others that we're going to talk about, but um, can you lab it? Like, is it something that I could just put in like my lab environment and run it on like a, a ton of virtual routers and switches? You you know, in my opinion, I've worked with salt stack a bit. It is something you wouldn't want to if you don't have experience at least scripting with Python, I wouldn't. I try and lab salt stack it. Okay. Gotcha. It, it's, it gets kind of involved. I'll, so not, I'll say that. Not, not something you want to start out with if you don't know what you're doing. No, for okay. sure. No. Track. So the thing with salt stack <laughs> is it's a platform capable of closed loop automation, which is awesome because it can do so many cool things. It's I'll say on the spectrum of complexity, it, it's, it can be a bit complex. There's a lot of components you need to be aware of and understand okay. and whatnot. Um, your automation platform can just be a pure Python infrastructure. Um, if you want to just roll your own and build it from the ground up within your, within your organization. Another one I've heard about but never worked with is combining Ansible, as this is an automation platform, mind you, combining Ansible with the RabbitMQ message bus. So the, Rabbit, the message bus starts to you know, do the communication between elements and then Ansible it interacts with the network elements directly. I've heard of that. I've never worked with that, but I've, I've heard of that uh, a few times. That so I've heard, I've heard, all, uh, I have experience with Ansible, not with rabbit, rabbit MQ. Rabbit um, MQ. Yeah. Not with that specifically. At least I don't believe so. That could just me be naive and not know enough or know what I don't know, but I've definitely had experience with Ansible and I do have a lot of actually customers using Ansible today. Um, so it's definitely something that people are leveraging. And I, I would say it's a little easier to roll out Ansible than it is to roll out like something that you have to know Python for. So, and here's why that RabbitMQ uh, Ansible model, like I say, I've never used it. It's interesting to me because you can start with abstraction, just doing Ansible playbooks, simple playbooks. Then the RabbitMQ architecturally comes in and gets and acts as the platform. So it can start to trigger your Ansible playbooks. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Dude, that's to do, cool. That's, that's cool. how you start stringing together an entire workflow. One event happens, something happens in response. That thing completes, says I'm done. Now something else, oh, this thing is done. That means I'm supposed to go. And that is how you string together uh, on Salt Stack and on RabbitMQ Ansible. You just string together a series of uh, events of, of encapsulated work, each one listening for a certain event. And that's when I trigger. And then I tell the system I'm done. And that becomes that completed effort becomes an event for something else to take, to take, uh, to take as their trigger along the workflow. So RabbitMQ Ansible, like I said, it's cool. It's interesting to me just because Ansible is a great platform to start abstracting with. And then you can keep your Ansible playbooks, which you've invested in along the way, with your uh, orchestrated and perhaps automated infrastructure. Okay. 
All right. Uh, are there any commercial software out there? Proprietary commercial? You know, I've, I've heard, uh, you know, uh, I've, you know, look, I'm, I, uh, I have no real interest in any of these companies, uh, you know, commercially, obviously I, what I, you know, there's itential, which I've heard as, yep. as a, you know, which I've know of. And then there's a newer one, I think called pliant, which, uh, I, I know a little bit about, but they start to let you encapsulate your scripts you've already done uh, amongst other things. This is just one of the things they do and then serve as a platform to use those to automate your full workflow. So, Architecturally, those are all very interesting to me because they they let you start with abstraction and keep that investment as you move to the more sophisticated side of the the spectrum. Hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so, what about like uh, automating things company wide um, workflows? And, and what do you see? What do you recommend? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the platform or just what do I see as far as impact? Oh uh, yeah, so automating company-wide workflows. What are the the uh, the tens? The there's a trends kind of. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So um, these will start to affect what we talked about before: uh, strategic objectives, improving quality, reducing error, improving velocity or throughput, reducing your quote to cash interval. These all tie into or are explicit high-level strategic objectives for the company. And as a network engineer, um, running a network efficiently, just as an engineer, that is important. But it's a lot. It's a few rungs lower down on the. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit further away from these explicit objectives. But when I say, hey. I'm starting to improve quality. My errors dropping. Uh, we're re- increasing our cash flow, and I'm having a more direct impact on those. I, as a person, am contributing more value, mm-hmm. and you know, hopefully, getting a getting a higher salary with that. So, um, it would pay when you're starting on this journey to understand your organization's. Or maybe your, you know, your director's objectives and strategic objectives. So you can start talking and communicating in those terms when you're communicating what you're trying to accomplish with abstraction, with uh, yeah. orchestration, and then with automation. They'll probably say, "We're we're buying it. We're going to invest in a platform. We want you to be on this team." Yeah, no, I I think that's exactly. Um how to do it. So, so I, I correlate those strategic objectives to business success, specifically the business goals they're trying to achieve, which those goals relate to like kind of the priorities of the company or the organization. So like, that's how I look at it. Those strategic objectives are part of those goals. And so everything you mentioned, improving quality, reducing error, improving velocity, which I've never heard that before, but that's awesome. Uh, reducing the quote to cash interval. Those are all things that are going to make that business successful. So everything we've talked about today literally comes back to making that business successful. And I think that's extremely imperative for everyone to realize that, you know, automation, abstraction, orchestration, whatever buzzword you want to leverage, right? These are all tools, all things that you can help make a business successful. That is the name of the game. That is the name of the game. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we kind of wrap up? No, I, you know, we've covered everything I, you know, wanted to make sure 
we communicated. I, I hope the, the engineers of the audience, uh, this was helpful to them in understanding just if you're going to start the journey, if you're already on the journey, hopefully this will frame where you're at now and let you know where you want to go and give you some, some additional knowledge to get there. Oh, that's awesome, Tim. That's awesome. Hey, where can our listeners, if they want to keep the conversation going, which I'm sure most of them will, um, where can they find you on the interwebs today? Sure. I got. I have a personal website, uh, locksfoils.com. That's lock-s-foils.com, the Star Wars reference. Yes, Star Wars. Uh, on, that, uh, on that website, I, I have... Uh, you know, uh, more technical blogs. And then I also have a worldly observation uh, section where I comment on, you know, my thoughts on tequila and why it gets a bad rap, Uh, tortilla chip um, deception, Um, why I think taking pictures of your food is is a ridiculous thing to do. All these things I, I discuss on uh, on on the worldly observations part. So uh, feel free to to check that out. Uh, there's a few links there where you can contact the webmaster, and that'll get back to me via email. I'm on LinkedIn.com. Uh, Timothy Fiola, all one word. Uh, if you search for Timothy Fiola, you should see me. And uh, I'm on GitHub.com. My user ID there is Tim Fiola. Awesome. Awesome. And I will have all those links for Tim in the show notes. So you can easily click those links and get a hold of him and ask him a whole bunch of questions about tequila and Legos. And of course, abstraction and orchestration automation as well. But I mean, you know, we care about tequila and Legos first and foremost, of course. Um, Talk your ear off on tequila. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Hey, Tim, I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks again for joining me. Uh, I know we got a couple other shows that we're going to do in the future, so I'm looking forward to those. Um, Thanks again. I hope you have a great day. This is a great show. Zig, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, friends, nerds, geeks, and ziglets. That's going to close out today's episode of the ZigBits Network Design Podcast, where we had a discussion with my good friend Tim Fiola on how to how abstraction, orchestration, and automation, and we coined it true automation, can make your career successful. Make sure to follow Tim. He's great. Uh, follow him on his social accounts. You can follow him on his website. Um, you can check his Git GitHub repositories. Um, he, he's actually in the Discord server too. So if you want to reach out to Tim, he's in there lurking around. Um, and, and again, if you want to find all this information, all our show notes today is uh, zigbits.tech/90. I have opened up the doors to my network design course called Designing Network Architectures and Ensuring business success. If you're interested to hear more about my course or are ready to enroll right now, visit zigbits.tech DNA. If you want to have live network design conversations right now with myself and, and other skilled design experts, join the Zigbits Discord community. You're truly missing out. Now, like I said, there's a ton of highly skilled experts, not just design, but they're skilled in all these other areas of expertise, and they're just really ready to help you. They're there kind of chilling, having conversations with other people, and they're there to help you. So if you want to join, have your design questions asked, have real conversations with technically highly skilled people, go to zigbits.tech discord. It's 100% free community. There is no requirement on price or payment or donations or anything like that. Obviously, donations are welcomed, but they're not required. But it's just a community for all of us just to be um, 
us and, and to, to talk and, and to help each other. That's all it is. If you like today's episode, let, let us know. You can find more ZigBits network engineering, network design, and the network architecture content, including the technical podcast like this one you're listening to right now, our monthly webinars, our YouTube videos, and a dedicated community on Discord. All of this content I just mentioned is free content. Find all of this and much more at zigbits.tech. You can follow us on Twitter at zigbits, and you can find us on LinkedIn. Hey, sign up for our free weekly newsletter, the Network Design Digest, filled with the best network design content in network engineering today. And that's just at zigbits.tech slash newsletter. As always, I appreciate you and I thank you for listening. Don't forget to attack your goals, attack the day, attack your life, and make progress, my friends. Until next time, bye for now.